ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಮ್ಯಹಂ in aparoksha anubhuti we were doing the 52nd verse we're going to do the 53rd verse today adi shankaracharya having ascertained the nature of the self atman first by a series of intricate arguments to show us that we are not the body which we consider ourselves to be we consider if you say what is the self what is the atman who are you and the body we don't say it outright if you somebody asks especially when we have been coming to vedanta for a long time time we'll say oh i am pure consciousness but though we may say it we behave as if we were bodies so our conviction our feeling is that we are this body um shankaracharya shows us by a series of arguments points out how this is is could not be true we are not this physical cage of flesh and blood we are not even the mind it's even more dramatic we most um, educated mature persons think of themselves as embodied minds not quite the body but the mind within the body so um even that vedanta says you are not the mind you are not the body and shankaracharya shows us this with a series of arguments and then goes on in classical vedantic fashion after argumentation after reason he takes uh, he quotes from the scriptures from the upanishads from revealed um from the revealed scriptures from the upanishads having shown us that we are the atman existence consciousness bliss then he negates the entire anatman not self what is the not self this entire universe in front of us this body this mind all of it is the not self this body and mind were first taken as the self now we see that they are not the self we are the witness consciousness is the self and the body mind complex is not the self it is an object and in the same way the universe which we experience that's also not the self now the entire spectrum of not self in sanskrit anatman not atman now shankaracharya will show will negate this entire anatman show that it is false it's an appearance it's an illusion and the self alone is real really real the self alone is real and there is no second real apart from the self from the existence consciousness bliss which is our self since there is no second apart from the self the self is non dual non dual sanskrit advaitam so atma is advaita non dual there is no second thing apart from the self meaning capital s the real self not this little person the real self what we really are apart from that nothing else has any reality i'm using words very carefully i am not saying that nothing else is experienced of course a lot everything else everything is experienced we're experiencing the world even the advaitin experiences the world though however he may shout the world is false still experiences the world the world is experienced you see a dream is experienced when you say get up and say oh it was a dream it was false it's not real it was not real it was a nightmare it was not real now what are you saying that you are saying that it's not a real thing it really did not happen you just imagined it in sleep but you are never denying that you saw a dream we never deny even after getting up even after realizing that it was a dream we do not deny that we saw the dream we just know it's a dream now it was not waking it was not real in the same way when the advaitin says all everything apart from the real self from the atman is mithya and appearance the advaitin is not denying the experience of the not self it's just denying the reality of the not self reality belongs to the self the not self seems real because it actually borrows reality 
from the self. Now that Shankaracharya has shown us through some arguments, now he is again quoting from the Upanishads, from various Upanishads, showing us that the Upanishads say it. It's not that he's invented it. It's not that Shankaracharya invented world is false. The Upanishads actually claim the world experience is an appearance. It has no intrinsic reality of its own. And the Upanishads say it in many ways. Sometimes they directly say that is the duality is false. Neha nanasti kinchana. In this experience which we have, the Upanishad says, in the experience of life which we have, there is no duality, no plurality. Nana means plurality. What seems to be plural is at its root, in its essence, in substance, one non-dual reality. It seems to be plural. Upanishad does not deny that it seems to be plural. Upanishad does not deny that there are 50 people present in the room. But what the Upanishad says is what is apparently 50 is in real one without a second. That's what Upanishad wants to say. This apparent 50 is an appearance. The non-dual one without a second is the reality. There is no plurality here. Upanishad directly denies the existence of plurality, denies the existence of duality. Sometimes the Upanishad comes at it from another way. The Upanishads say, Atmevedam Sarvam. The Atman alone is all this. Atman means the self. The moment we say self, it, we seem to feel that self means me, here. And all this is not self. But what does the Upanishad say? Atmevedam Sarvam. The Atman alone is all this. If the Atman alone is all this, that which seems to be not the Atman, what happens to it? It's not real then. It seems to be there, but it's not really there. Because after all the claim is the Atman alone is all this. If the Atman alone is all this, that which is not the Atman, not the self, the apparent experienced universe, it becomes apparent, an appear appearance, not the reality. That's another way in which the Upanishads say. Instead of saying direct, directly that plurality, not self, world is false, it says the non-dual self alone is all this. The self alone is all this. Another way in which the Upanishads deny the reality of the world, of the reality of plurality, is by saying, those who see plurality, who experience plurality, they will go from death to death. One who sees plurality here will go from death to death. The one who sees oneness here will attain freedom, moksha, spiritual liberation. Now one who sees, again be careful, now, by now you know the ins and outs of it. When you say one who sees plurality, what does Advaita mean? It's not, he's not denying that, Advaita is not denying that even an enlightened person will experience the variety. But he will not experience it as real. He will experience the non-dual self as real and the experienced variety as an appearance. So even while experiencing variety, the enlightened person, the, not, the Advaitin knows that all of this is, the variety is not real. It's one non-dual reality appearing as manifold. One appearing as the many. That's what it means by see, saying, does not see many here. Does not see many does not mean, does not experience. Exper experiences, but sees that they are, the experience is at its core, in its essence, one. That's another way in which the Upanishads deny the appearance of the, the world appearance, the reality of the world appearance. Another way which we shall en encounter now, Upanishads say that um, plurality, in ignorance one sees plurality, in knowledge one sees non-duality. Now if you say in ignorance one sees duality or plurality, and in knowledge one sees non-duality, then um, what is real? It's like saying, in ignorance one sees a snake. That very thing is seen as a rope when you get knowledge. We don't know there's the rope. By mistake we see it as a snake. Now when you say, by mistake you saw it as a snake, when you see it as it is, you will see a rope. Then if I ask the question, what is the status of the snake and what is the status of the rope then? Snake is? Unreal, an appearance, false, an error, a mistake. 
that which is seen in mistake does not really exist. And in knowledge, if, say, if, you, if you really know it as it is, if you have knowledge about it, you will see a rope. That means the rope is real. So the moment you see, say, the, the Upanishads say, in knowledge Brahman, the non-dual Brahman or Atman is, exp is realized or is known. And in ignorance alone we see a world of, or we think there is a world of plurality or duality. In that case, duality, born of ignorance, is false. Mithya, an appearance. Experienced. Always experienced. We are experiencing now. Sri Ramakrishna also experienced Naren and Latu and um, uh, Mother Kali and uh, Ganga and, uh, and the Shiva temples. All that's different. Experienced it. But he knew it was all one. And again and again had that, that supreme experience of one reality shining in all these forms. So when you say in knowledge it is non-dual, in ignorance it is dual, then you, what, what are you saying actually? Duality is false, non-duality is real. Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya. So that's what we are going to read now. 53rd verse. So Shankaracharya is quoting from many Upanishads, in, from many Upanishads showing that the world of appear, the world which appears, world of plurality is false, the non-dual Brahman alone is real. Now 53rd verse. Yatra Jnanat Bhaved Dvaitam Yatra Jnanat Bhaved Dvaitam Itaras Tatra Pashyati Itaras Tatra Pashyati Atmatvena Yada Sarvam Atmatvena Yada Sarvam Netaras Tatra Charnvapi when duality appears through ignorance, then one sees somebody else. I am this and here is another person. But when you realize everything is the Atman, then one does not see anybody else, even the slightest difference. What it means is, in ignorance, we say, this is who I am, and this is who I am not. I am not all these people. They are all different from me. And I am this person. And we are all different from each other. That's what we say and that's what it appears to us. It looks like that to us. We feel that. Uh, and in knowledge, when we realize the Atman alone is real, then we find in non-duality, there is no second person. Though, again, we see the person. We see this person and that person, we all see all of them. But we know in depth, you and I are one and the same. It is the same consciousness. When he says, Atmatvena yada sarvam, when Atman alone is realized to be everything, then from the point of view of the Atman, we realize that consciousness, um, which is shining through this body and mind, is the same consciousness, that very same consciousness, is shining through that body and mind, this body and mind, and through that body and mind also. Okay. Um, so it is one consciousness shining through all bodies and minds. From the point of view of that one consciousness, there is no difference. I've given the example of one light shining through the um, lattices of a lantern. So from the, from the outside you see several beams of light coming out. But it's the same light. It's the same light. It's one light shining through all these uh, lattices. In the same way it is one consciousness shining through all of them. So you know, even when the same consciousness shining through this body and mind experiences another body and mind, the enlightened person will know, I alone, witness consciousness, pure consciousness, am the witness of this body and mind, and the witness of that body and mind. In this body and mind, I am Mr. So-and-so. In that body and mind, I am Swami So-and-so. It's one consciousness. We are not different from each other. In ignorance, there appears to be another. Upanishad is very poetic. In ignorance, there appears to be another. In knowledge, 
there is not the least anuapi means even an atom there is not a least even even the particle of otherness everybody becomes one today um we are we actually observed the birthday of masharda the holy mother masharda devi so according to the indian calendar today is her birthday now look at two of her teachings swami arupananda who was uh, her long time attendant one day was sitting and talking with her and she was in her um, home village of jairambati and she said all this is a dream all that you see my son is a dream now normally she did not speak like this and swami arupananda maybe with a touch of unease he asked mother how can this be a dream things in dream are unstable what you see in a dream today next dream you can't have pizza today and put it away leftovers for the when, when i dream tomorrow i'll eat it yeah. you can't it's gone each dream is gone uh so he says objects in dreams are unstable but objects in this world well waking world when we wake up it's there the same people are there the same objects are there same houses same things same problems are there the house is the same the mortgage is also the same unfortunately it's it's all there how can this be a dream now this is one of the objections raised against calling this world of waking experience a dream and advaitins have an answer to that but the holy mother does not give a logical answer to it she does not argue philosophy she laughs and she says in bengali ta holi baba wa shopno boi to noy be that as it may my son it is nothing more than a dream see arupananda said a dream is different this is different this seems real it's solid it stays it appears again and again and the dream disappears each time it's different and her reply was she did not go into an argument she said be that as it may yes it's still a dream it's not and she says shopno boitanoi it is nothing more than a dream this is the teaching of jagat mithyatvam remember she does not deny that you see a dream she only says a dream is an appearance a mirage false now teaching of the falsity of the world jagat mithyatvam the appearance the world uh, the world of plurality is an appearance there is a spiritual depth to it there is a metaphysical necessity for it in advaita vedanta when you only when you can prove the world apart from the self to be an appearance then only you can claim that the self is non dual i said a lot of things in that one sentence the self existence consciousness bliss the claim in advaita vedanta is that self is non dual we keep using the word non dual very lightly it's a very heavy word if you moment you say non dual you're making the claim that nothing other than the self exists really though other things may be experienced they do not really exist that's the claim so nothing other than the self really exists so in advaita vedanta you have to prove that the not self is false is an appearance then only the self will be proved to be non dual if anything else other than the self exists then how can the self be non dual if you exist and in addition to you i exist you are one and then i'll become two and then she will become three and that person will become four how can it be non dual then right in a dream what happens you see so many people you see houses you see roads and trees and birds and animals how many dozens hundreds thousands millions and when you wake up all of those millions they are realized to be nothing apart from one thing which is your mind there were really no persons there in the dream there were really no roads no houses no birds or animals there no sky or earth no water or fire nothing was there except your mind it's your mind isn't it 
No heavy philosophy here. Just common experience. You all, we all know it. Will you all know it? Whatever you experienced in the dream, that those objects are nothing but your mind. You look a little puzzled. Isn't it true? Of course it is. So, it's one thing, the mind, with respect to all the thousands of objects in your dream, the mind is non-dual. Because those objects in the dream, they have no existence apart from the mind which was dreaming them up. In the same way, apart from the existence, consciousness, bliss, which is the self, everything else is an appearance. And therefore, the self is non-dual. So you have to prove the not-self to be an appearance. That's, what, that's the metaphysical necessity. In philosophy, that's the necessity of proving. Why do you have to prove that the world is false in, a non, in Advaita Vedanta? Because of this. Otherwise, you can't call it Advaita, non-dual. But there is a spiritual necessity. There is a deep spiritual Im uh, implication. It's not just hair-splitting logic and philosophy. Very deep spiritual implication is there. It's this. There are two levels of this. First the surface and the second the deeper level. Two levels of spiritual practice are there for the falsity of the world. The first spiritual implication for our practice is called vairagya, dispassion. If the world is false, if it is an appearance, if it is really a dream, then it makes no sense to become, um, uh, to become infatuated with the things of the world. It makes no sense to be scared or terrified of anything in the world. What you see in a movie, you see a delicious cupcake in a movie. And they had, had this 3, 3D, the first 3D movies, crude affairs. I saw one as a kid. They would give you cheap spectacles, glasses to put on. And you sit and see. And they will, I still remember, the, the person is, has a plate full of, full of Indian sweets, laddu and extends it from the typical gimmick, from the screen. And when you're sitting there, it looks like it, the whole plate has been thrust in front of you. And people in fun, you know, they were trying to grab it. <laughs> and somebody shoots an arrow, and the people are ducking in the seats. But they all know it's in fun. Nobody really feels greedy for a laddu, a sweet, or a cupcake in a 3D movie, even though it seems very real. Why? Why? It looks just like that. I'm sure 3D technology has advanced a lot now. Somebody speaks of 4D technologies where uh, you can get some movement in the chair and some smell. Uh, somebody even said that there was there's some, it seems that uh, some cinema theater is there where you have the 3D glasses and if there's some shaking or moving in the, like an earthquake in the, on the screen, your chair also will move. So you feel like it's, a, it's an earthquake. Not only that, um, somebody sneezed in the movie and uh, a, a thin spray of, <laughs> of a vapor was sprayed on your face. And everybody went, ugh. <laughs> yet all of that, and yet we, we know we are not affected by it. We are neither infatuated, enticed, or attracted by it. We don't start chasing that, nor are we truly terrified. We don't run away from the movie theater. Here is King Kong, a killer gorilla coming to kill us or something like that. Or an aliens are invading. You know, we enjoy the whole thing. Both the good and the bad. The pleasant and the unpleasant. The terrifying and the attractive. All of that we enjoy. Why? For one reason only. It appears, but it's not real. That's why we enjoy it. This is called Vairagya dispassion for the world. This world of appearances is not my goal. I am not trying to achieve uh, real peace and joy and satisfaction here. That's, that decision, Vairagya, is the end of worldly life, beginning of spiritual life. That's real spiritual maturity. That you know, though I have to be in this world because of my prarabdha karma, I am embodied. I have to watch the movie because I've purchased the, the ticket and I'm sitting in the theater. But I know that it's a movie. Vairagya is the first spiritual practice, which is a consequence of the falsity of the world. The second one, the deeper one, 
you see if the world appearance is false if the world is false and brahman is the real where is brahman where is the world you know here where is brahman the snake and the rope if the snake is false that thing which i see as a snake is false okay that which i see as a snake there it's false there's something called they are telling me there's something called a rope which is real where will the rope be there on my pocket or around my neck there exactly where you see the false snake after all what is a false snake it's the rope mistaken for a snake that thing is itself is a reality it has been mistaken for a snake if you say that the snake is false it is really a rope then that thing itself must be the rope if this is the world and the world is false it is really brahman what is where is brahman right here right here when is brahman after death post mortem brahman <laughs> right now right now which thing vastu which thing here is brahman no no thing is here here is apart from brahman cannot be everything which is false an appearance a dream must be in reality the real brahman if it is appearing then what is appearing the reality alone is appearing in this way so this itself must be the reality that which is the world in ignorance is brahman in knowledge before realization world human beings after realization brahman before realization other they are different after realization i alone am all this atmatvena as my own self this is the difference and this this contemplation of the mithyatva falsity of the world realizing that all of it is brahman this is called this is the highest advaitic practice its technical name is nididhyasana nididhyasana dwelling on brahman how do you dwell on brahman how do you dwell on brahman if i tell you about brahman pure existence pure consciousness pure bliss where where oh there is some reality called brahman the entire universe has come from that brahman where maybe it was there before the big bang who knows a lot of long time back but if i tell you this world of appearance is an uh, is false this world is an appearance duality is false plurality is false it's it's non duality in knowledge in that case you will the clever person will understand what this person means is this very experience is an experience, is brahman what i'm experiencing as a name and form as the world is in reality brahman that's why enlightened sages in all uh, religions the great mystics have at the culmination of their realization have seen everything as divine as a divine permeating everything so the philosophy of that in unmatched clarity is here in non dual vedanta nowhere else you find such absolute clear vision of the highest philosophy so two implications two spiritual implications of jagat mithyatva of the falsity of the world one is vairagya dispassion for the appearance i don't want it it cannot serve any purpose of mine i have often told the story of the swami in the himalayas who had never seen tv and the tv crew came and they were taking pictures of the ganges river and the swami is old swami 80 years old sitting there near the ganges river so they said we'll show you a tv what a tv world looks like and they cranked up a generator there was no power there at that time and they put a tv set and put the camera in front of the uh, river and on the set the swami said he, he was telling us with with a child like jai oh what a m- magical thing the, you know the magic box the tv you can see everything there in hindi he said sab dikhti hai ganga ji dikhti hai you can see ganga the, the ganges river you can see you can hear the sound of the water gushing forth roaring through the, uh, the on the river bed and then he said to that tv person sir can you give me a glass of ganges water from there babu ek gilas ganga jal diji and the person laughed and said oh swami we can't do that it's uh, it just looks like that it's not really there 
इन हिंदी सेड दिखती है उसमें है नहीं एंड देन द मंक टर्न टूवर्ड्स अस इन ग्रेट अर्नेसनेस आई कैन नेवर फॉरगेट वी आर आर ग्रुप ऑफ मंक सिटिंग एट इज फीट एंड ही लुकड एट अस एंड ही सेड तो महात्मा जी सो माई डियर मंक्स ऑल दिस यू सी the towering mountains all around the ganges flowing by in front um, ice caps the deodar forests the glaciers running down magnificent the uh, spectacular blue sky above he says all this in hindi he said dikhti exactly what the film film man had told him the, the tv tv producer had told him dikhti hai it it appears isme sar kuch nahi hai there is no essence here it's an appearance if it is an appearance then where is the reality right here in ignorance the universe of five elements in knowledge existence consciousness bliss brahman itself so that's what is mentioned here on one hand the holy mother said it's a dream on the other hand famously she said there is no other learn to make everybody your own you part now there is no other in this universe it sounds like a some kind of homely advice your mother or grandmother might give you it's it has the deepest philosophical connotations there is no other they are all yours learn to make everybody your own you part now the two sides of this they are two sides of the same teaching falsity of the world and nobody other than you they are all your own they are all one with you they are two sides of the same thing duality falsity of duality and the reality of non duality all right then the 54th verse so if this verse must i i hope it's clear yatra agyanat bhavet dvaitam where from ignorance one sees duality इतरस्तत्र पश्यति वन सीज एन अदर सेपरेट आत्मत्व यदा सर्व वेन वन सीज द आत्मन अलोन एज एवरीथिंग नेतरस्तत्र चाणुअपी देर इज नो अदर इवन इन द लीस्ट डिग्री देर इज नो अदरनेस देर अणु मीन्स एटम इज नॉट इवन एन एटम ऑफ अदरनेस देर ऑल योर्स फ्रेंड एंड फो द मोस्ट बिलवेड एंड द मोस्ट पर्सन यू आर मोस्ट इनडिफरेंट टू the least little ant and the biggest blue whale or whatever all of them are exactly the same as you same means one with you they are not one in the sense that the um, i mean the bodies are different experiences are different the minds are different it's all different that way in appearance the underlying existence consciousness bliss is one and the same 54 yasmin sarvani bhutani ट when one realizes all as the atman there is neither delusion nor sorrow because there is no duality now all these are quotations from the upanishads the earlier one 53rd verse was a quotation from the brihadaranyaka upanishad in your book if you have this book the number of the verse the mantra is also given brihadaranyaka upanishad 4 5 15 and this one is a well known quotation from the isha upanishad the isha upanishad one of the smallest upanishads and it is famous for its first mantra ishavasyam idam sarvam yatkincha jagatyam jagat this entire universe cover this entire universe of experience with god that is see god in all your experience that's the first verse mahatma gandhi mahatma gandhi said if all of hinduism were to disappear only the first mantra even there the first line of the first mantra of the isha upanishad just that much is left all of hinduism would still be there the whole of vedanta is con- contained in that first half half a mantra the full mantra goes 
ईशावास्यमिदम सर्वम यत्किंच जगत्याम जगत तेन त्यक्तेन भुंजी थामाग्रिधकस्य स्विद्धनम कवर दी entirety of your experience with god that means see god in the entirety of of your experience in the moving and the unmoving by that renunciation protect your realization do not covet um anything you know wealth or anything like that so that is the uh, meaning of the verse in that upanishad little later uh, i think it is the seventh mantra the, the number is also given there is a mantra which says is means sarvani bhutmani bhutani atmaiva bhut vijanata tatra komoha kashoka ekatvam anupashyata where all beings are seen as the self where is where, where how can there be sorrow how can there be delusion for the one who sees oneness where all beings are seen as one with yourself for that person where how can sorrow arise how can delusion arise where uh, f- for the one who sees oneness that's the meaning of the verse and that verse is being uh, that mantra that mantra is being quoted by shankaracharya here yasmin sarvani bhutani atmatvena hi bijanata in a, in in which in which state all beings are seen as the self for that person what is the result navaitasya bhavet moha there is no chance of that person becoming deluded in the world no chance of that person suffering in the in this world just like the movie example or the dream example i gave you when you wake up in a dream you you encounter a particularly nasty person who is nasty to you and you you get the reaction of anger and hatred and all that and you wake up and what do you realize oh it was a dream it was all in my mind how can you hate that person because it was you your mind conjured up that person or there is something very enticing how can you be infatuated with a person a thing or something very beautiful when you realize it was all dreamt up by your own mind it's you yourself that which is one with you it can neither terrify you nor can it entice you or attract you it's you, you. it's always one with you Vivekananda Swami Vivekananda in his song of sanyasin he says uh praise how can there be praise or blame where praiser praised or blamer blamed are but one whom will you praise and whom will you blame when the person you praise and the person you blame are you the real you that is why an enlightened person if you see deep seated hatred if you see deep seated partiality person who plays favorites this person is my own my beloved the person is like really great and that person i'm indifferent to and that person i particularly hate know that person to be very far from wisdom the person who looks upon all with an equal vision the dev- devotee might look upon all of them as my beloved my krishna or jesus or in whatever way you worship god they are all mine in that sense the gyani looks upon all as one with himself or herself the, the, the pure consciousness now for such a person no delusion can there be delusion is which gives rise to fear or hatred or which gives rise to infatuation moha there can be no sorrow sorrow when does sorrow come when a particularly beloved person or a thing or some situation which you like when you lose it they don't lose sorrow they sorrow sorrow is when we lose a source of happiness an enlightened person sees everything as the self which is always present with with him that is never lost in the advaitic sense nobody is ever lost you are one with the entire universe all the time conventional religion promises us you will be reunited with all your friends and family and everybody in heaven i don't know if that excludes the person you particularly dislike a troublesome neighbor or somebody or troublesome coworker does that person not get to go to heaven or what happens you'll be reunited with all of them 
And heaven must be a peculiar place. I, I don't know. Fathers, mothers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers, and all of them all together. As, you know, some people say that uh, it sounds good on paper, but on in reality we often see um, the custom is to, for example, in Thanksgiving you go back to family and people go back with all kinds of expectations and usually family gatherings are not particularly successful because the, all the old issues are still there. So when you get together, after some time, they will bubble up. Somebody said that we do not discuss politics uh, in, in Thanksgiving because uh, some may be supporter of one group, some may be supporter of another group, and they will quarrel and the whole Thanksgiving will be spoiled. So if you meet all of them, and perpetually for all eternity, you <laughs> I don't see much good coming of it. But, as in all things, um, this conventional religion, when it promises an eternal heaven and all, there is a core, a nugget of truth in all of this. And that nugget of truth is in non-dualism. As far as existence consciousness bliss goes, which is the reality of everybody, that is always there. Each person is ultimately that. In that sense, nobody is lost. And in that sense, we are one with everybody, all the time. And that's the only sense in which it counts. The rest of it is appearance, is a passing show, name and form, dreams and shadow. Um, Buddha put, put it very beautifully. He says, Anityam, Anityam, Sarvam, Anityam. Transient, transient, all is transient. Shanikam, Shanikam, Sarvam, Shanikam. He is not content with everything being impermanent and transient. He says, momentary, momentary, all is momentary. It does not even last for more than one moment, according to him. And then he says, Shunyam, Shunyam, Sarvam, Shunyam. Void, void, all is void. All is empty, or empty, empty, all is empty. And therefore, Dukkham, Dukkham, Sarvam, Dukkham. If you know this in, tru in truth and accept it, you are liberated from suffering. If you do not know this truth and you try to grasp on the impermanent as the permanent, trying to hold on to something which is momentary, trying to find substance and comfort in something which is empty, then the result will be dukkha, suffering. Inevitably, you cannot prevent it. But the know the truth of anityam, Kshanikam, Shunyam, transience, momentariness and emptiness. If you know the truth, you become the truth and then you are freed from suffering. That was his uh, core understanding. That, that's what he taught in Buddhist philosophy. Um, so, there will be no moha, no shoka. Upanishad says, Tatra komoha kashoka. What sorrow can there be? What delusion can there be in that state? Mm, there's one more thing. Oh, now you see, by saying this, what is Shankaracharya trying to say? If you see duality, there is sorrow and delusion. If you see non-duality, there is no sorrow and delusion. Where? Here itself. In this world. In this life, now itself, with these people, in this place itself. The moment you see non-duality, oneness. The moment you see the apparent duality as real and permanent, sorrow and delusion will come. So by saying that, what he is implying is, sorrow and delusion come from taking duality to be real and uh, um, freedom from sorrow and delusion comes by realizing it all as non-dual. Therefore, non-dual, real, duality, false. Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya. He is making one point consistently throughout, but he is quoting from various Upanishads and you can see the different angles they take. They are attacking the same problem from very different angles. Then 55. I'll just touch upon this and we'll open up for questions. I am Atma Hi Brahmheva. 
अयमात्मा ही ब्रह्म सर्वात्मकतया स्थित सर्वात्मकतया स्थित निर्धारित श्रुत्याधारित श्रुत्या बृहदारण्य संस्थया बृहदारण्य संस्थया अगेन कोटेशन फ्रॉम बृहदारण्यक उपनिषद विच सेज दैट दिस वेरी सेल्फ इज ब्राह्मण आयम आत्मा ब्रह्म बींग ब्राह्मण दिस वेरी सेल्फ इज द सेल्फ ऑफ एवरीबडी सो आयम आत्मा ही ब्रह्म दिस वेरी आत्मन इज ब्राह्मण एंड देयर फॉर सर्वात्मकतया स्थित इट एग्जिस्ट एज द एसेंस द सेल्फ ऑफ ऑल बींग्स आई अलोन एग्जिस्ट एज योर योर ओन सेल्फ यू अलोन आर माई ओन सेल्फ यू अलोन एग्जिस्ट एज ऑल ऑफ अस इट्स वन रियालिटी as the self not as body and mind on the level of body and mind we are different and he quotes this quotation is from briyadarnak upanishad he has also the number is also given 2519 but this is famously a mahavakya from the mandukya upanishad natharva veda mandukya upanishad says i am atma brahma this very atman is brahman you the self you are existence consciousness place i am atma brahman this self is brahman if this self is brahman then it is the self of all brahman is the reality of the universe so if this self is brahman then this self is the reality of the entire universe in the 13th chapter of the bhagavad gita uh, krishna tells arjuna in this body and mind o arjuna there is the witness consciousness not the body not the mind the knower in this body and mind then arjuna thinks so in all bodies and minds there are different witness consciousnesses so there are different consciousnesses in all bodies and minds or is there one consciousness in all bodies and minds and what about god where is god in this you are talking about consciousness and body mind so where is god in this and in the next verse krishna says क्षेत्रज्ञम चापिमाम विद्धि सर्वक्षेत्रेशु भारत ओ अर्जुन नो मी अलोन टू बी द नोअर इन ऑल दीज बॉडीज राइट नाउ द नोअर विच यू सी यू एक्सपीरियंस नाउ आई एम द पर्सन लिसनिंग टू दिस क्लास एंड थिंकिंग दिस नोअर इन रियालिटी कृष्ण से इज आई एम वेयर इन ऑल बॉडीज देर नॉट डिफरेंट नोअर्स इन डिफरेंट बॉडीज इट इज वन नोअर इन ऑल बॉडीज i mean identified with bodies and minds it is swami here mr so and so there mrs so and so there and so on identified as pure consciousness it is one and that is krishna says i am god is that consciousness in vedanta in vedanta god is the consciousness which is evident to you right now properly appreciated it is god not understood properly it's you what you consider yourself to be now know yourself as you truly um, truly as you are you have known god not knowing yourself what you consider yourself to be is what you are right now that's why i say in vedanta the god of vedanta is the most known of all it's not a matter of faith it's not a matter of belief in fact the only thing that we can know for sure we know that it is not an illusion is our own awareness consciousness anything that we know with the help of that consciousness can be an illusion can be a dream but consciousness itself cannot be an illusion cannot be an appearance because it's constant all the time what it presents before us can be real it can be false we think the world is real which we experience with our consciousness advaita assures us the world which you experience with your consciousness is an appearance but the consciousness is constant we are aware and that awareness itself properly understood is accord, according to advaita vedanta is brahman the closest word is god the god of vedanta is most known of all in fact it's the only thing that we really know everything every other knowledge depends on that first we know that that meaning consciousness awareness that's what we experience first and only through that we experience our lives the universe the world that consciousness unchanging consciousness the subject itself is brahman 
and that is God. Iti nirdharitam shutya. Original, you can find it in Mandukya Upanishad, but this one he has quoted from Brihadarnika Upanishad. Brihadarnika Upanishad also it is there. I am Atma Brahman, Brahma. This very Atma is Brahma. Okay. A lot of heavy-duty metaphysics going on today. And it's going to continue uh, for a few more verses. And then will come a remarkable stretch for nearly 20 verses where he'll just give example after example after example from verse number 59 to 88. Whatever he has been saying till now and he'll say it for a little more, few more verses. From 59 to 88, just examples. Nothing else, just examples. It's very nice it, to drive home all this. All this means it's not all this. It's just one thing. Brahman is non-dual. You are the non-dual reality. What appears as the dual reality is, a, is an appearance, is a falsehood, is a dream. That's all. Question. Questions, yes. Uh, I have a question about the notion of good and bad. Uh, is it right to say that uh, there's no absolute good or absolute bad because good and bad is external to Atman? Yes. So if the world is an appearance, isn't good and bad also an appearance? I'll be blunt in answering. Yes, good and bad is, appear is an appearance. But it is valid within the appearance. You see, when you say good and bad is appearance, it does not mean there is a verse which will come. In fact, I didn't have time to do it. It's the very next verse, 56th verse. What that verse will tell us is that this universe, it is experienced. And it is also transactionally valid. It is effective. The word they use is vyavaharakshama. You can, the usage is possible. Cause and effect works within the universe. Though cause and effect works, causality is there in the universe, though the universe is experienced, for two points, it is experienced and you can use it also. Yet it is false. How? Experienced, I can experience a glass of water. Use it, I can actually pick it up and drink it and it will quench my thirst. Both are there. Even so, Advaita insists it's an appearance. Exactly like the dream world. In the dream, you may actually feel thirsty. You may actually see a glass of water. And you may actually in the dream drink that glass of water and quench your thirst. And yet, in spite of all of that, it's still a dream. Because when you wake up, you were all the time lying in your bed. You see that you didn't actually dr uh, drink a glass of water. Neither were you thir really thirsty, nor did you drink a glass of water. The glass of water next to your bed will still be full. You haven't drunk it. It is only in the dream. You saw it. And you used it. In the dream. And it worked in the dream. So cause and effect are, are valid. In the level of reality where they appear. Now to answer your question. Good and bad are also valid. In the level of reality where they appear. In our waking reality. Dharma and adharma. Good and bad work perfectly. If, if I, somebody wants to misuse Advaita and say, oh, it's all Brahman. Now, I, can, I have no problems. I can ignore my diet. I can ignore my doctor's restrictions. I can eat a lot of gluten. Eh? <laughs> Nothing is going to happen to me because it's all an appearance. Well, all bad things, bad things also will happen. They may be, they're also appearance, but it will happen. <laughs> Why? Causality. It says, Vyavaharakshama. Cause and effect will still work there. Just like a dream. You stand there, a dog is chasing you in the dream, barking at you. you say, oh, it's a dream. You suddenly realize. If it's a dream, I need not move out. There's no real dog. Well, if the dream dog bites your dream body, it's going to get dream pain also. <laughs> right? So it will work. That's why an enlightened person in day-to-day -day dealings will follow all the rules of behavior. Sometimes they may seem to be crazy because they're, the enlightenment, they, they see a, a deeper reality beyond the, um, what, what is apparent. That's why sometimes enlightened persons seem crazy, madmen of God. But generally they follow all the rules of morality and decency and everything and they will always encourage us to do so. You see, there's a, a whole uh, other thing. How morality is grounded on non-duality. In fact, good and bad, 
Swami Vivekananda says, the only justification for good and bad is uh, non-duality, Brahman. We say, how, how, what do you mean? The only justification for truth, unselfishness, self-control is that you're all one with me. If I hurt you, I'm hurting myself. If I do good to you, I'm actually doing good to myself in a wi wider, wiser sense. Swami Vivekananda said, the justification of morality, of ethics, is in Advaita. And there is a very beautiful article written by Swami Bhajanandaji, the ontological ethics of Swami Vivekananda. It's a long article, I think 20 pages. I remember I was asked to give a talk on the ethical theories of Swami Vivekananda in Calcutta University in one of their philosophy conferences. I just took that article written by Swami Bhajanananda, who's a very senior monk of our order in Belur. And I used that as a handout and I taught for two, two and a half, three hours. And after that, they were so impressed. All of them are philosophy professors. There was a long queue outside the Photoshop, uh, uh, photocopy uh, room of the university, even after closing hours. And there was a queue. They were all photocopying that handout. Uh, I have I've given it to many people. I have actually a scanned copy of that. Ontological Ethics of Swami Vivekananda. What it does is, first of all, the Swami, he makes a survey of the field of ethics, good and bad. What are the different theories? From uh, hedonism to utilitarianism to, um, to, uh, to deontology to the, all the different theories uh, of uh, ethics. He makes a wonderful survey in Western philosophy and in Indian philosophy. And he shows the defects of those theories. And then he comes to Swami Vivekananda's uh, um, philosophy of ethics. Ten points he gives. And then he sums up. He shows how ethics can be grounded in Advaita Vedanta. I'll just leave, though for those who are trained in philosophy, I'll just leave you with a, with a teaser. You see, the whole problem of ethics in modern philosophy is the idea, it's, taught, it's taken as commonplace in all philosophy departments across this country and in the world. You cannot derive an ought from an is. Ought, ought means O-U-G-H-T, should. What should one do or what should one not, one not do, it cannot be derived from the reality of this world. It's a value judgment. That's taken as common. Um, they, nobody really fights this anymore. Vivekananda challenges this. He grounds the ought, what you should do and what you should not do, in the deepest reality possible, in Advaita Vedanta, in Brahman. And how it can be done, he shows in that article. It's remarkable. Uh, I think it will become uh, an important philosophical work in the future. Thank you for that question. Yes, Ram, no, Ram Gopal has a question. Take, speak into the microphone. So even when, even when you're dreaming, sometimes if you actually think that the dog is not real, we find our dream kind of changing. I mean, in the sense, we kind of are able to control what happens in our dream sometimes, right? Yeah, but so there's lucid dreaming sometimes. But does it ever happen with uh, uh, in the real world? I mean, in the sense, with Sri Ramakrishna or something of that sort, where they're able to control what's going on? Sometimes in lucid dreaming, you become aware of it's a dream, and in, to some extent you may influence it. But even when you're aware it's a dream, you may not have much control over what's happening. You can't change everything, you know, like a Matrix movie or something like that. You cannot change things. Uh, the dream sort of continues in its own inertia. It continues. So the world is also like that. It's produced by our prarabdha karma. And the results keep appearing before us. But you see the underlying unity of it. And yes, um, great yogis and enlightened persons can make a change in the flow of events. But the real point of Advaita Vedanta is not to dream lucidly. It's to realize it's a dream and realize who or what is dreaming. That's the point. It's everything is appearing in one pure consciousness, which is non-dual. The dream of duality is appearing in the non-dual consciousness. <coughs> yes. Uh, Swamiji, how do we train our mind to non-duality? Because even in Shankaracharya's life, at some point, Chandala had to remind him of non-duality. Yes. So, as a common human beings, simple human beings. Now, how do we go about training our mind to so, focus on the non-duality? Two things. One is, 
for the beginner and one is for the advanced practitioner. Of course, there is a stage of enlightenment when one is fully grounded, sthita pragya, established in non-duality, jivan mukta. That's the other uh, group which I'm not speaking about now, but the beginner and the advanced practitioner. For us, as we begin, the importance is in what is called sadhan chatushta. Viveka, vairagya, shamadamadi, shatsampatti, mumukshutvam. Viveka, the constant discrimination between the real and the, and the unreal. Using Vedanta and reflecting upon, here the existence consciousness place common to everything that alone is real. Everything else is a passing show, name and form, a mirage, a film. Discrimination. Vairagya. Vairagya means um, not chasing or being afraid of the passing show. This delusion, trying to chase some names and forms and run away from other names and forms. Swami Vivekananda says that the things are dead in themselves. We breathe life into them, then we run after them or we run away from them. Things are dead in themselves. Things are dead in themselves, names and forms are not real in themselves. We lend existence to them. So vairagya is dispassion for the so-called uh, uh, goals of worldly life. So vairagya. Then discipline. Shama dhamma dishat sampatti. Shama, mental tranquility. Dhamma, control of sense organs and motor organs. Um, uh, then sa this uh, titiksha, a spiritual fortitude which you, by which you put up with the vicissitudes of life. You continue your spiritual practice in spite of the problems which life throws at you. It could be problems from other people, could be problems in the environment, could be problems, health problems of the body or the mind. In spite of all of these problems, are you tough enough to continue your spiritual practice? Titiksha. Uparati. Withdrawal from um, this constant engagement with the world. Basically, it means turning off your iPhone once in a while. Uparati. <laughs> Samadhana. Settledness in Vedantic practice. Not slipping away from it all the time. Settledness in Vedanta. Uh, then, Shraddha. A working faith that what Vedanta is telling us is true. There is something in this. Let me try to follow it up, realize it, and see the results in my own life. Not blind faith, but Shraddha. And finally, Mumukshutvam, an intense desire to be free of this, the bondage of the world, to feel the bondage of the world first. Many people don't feel it also. So, so these are the preliminary practices. This is what we must concentrate on and continue our spiritual practices and the study of Vedanta. This is how you train the mind. It's a big, tall order. And then for the advanced practitioner, there's something called Jnana Nishtha. That person is already convinced about Vedanta, already has an intuition about the reality of Brahman and the appearance of this world. Now that person must steady himself or herself in that intuition, must stabilize. You see, at the beginning we are seeking, I am trying to realize Brahman. That person, the advanced uh, practitioner, is not trying to do anything, has already found it, is trying to get stabilized in it, called Jnana Nishtha. After that comes uh, Jivan Mukti, that is enlightened by living. So there, there is no more need of any practice. It becomes natural and spontaneous. Okay, good question. One more question? No? Yes, last question there. Thank you, Swami. Um, I, I always feel like that devotee that you were talking about with uh, Mahasarada, like since the world is so persistent, there I, I've never felt like like the true kind of how Viveka is described, like, oh, this is not real at all. Like, is that something that like I don't know, become, becomes clearer um, after like... All right. Um, this is real and that is not real at all. That becomes clearer much later. But you do have Viveka because otherwise uh, 
on a nice Tuesday evening, you wouldn't be sitting here for the Vedanta class. There is this feeling that there is something deep and worthwhile in the spiritual quest. More worthwhile than the very evident world we live in. That itself is Viveka. That's the beginning of Viveka at least. There is something worthwhile which religion and spirituality are, are telling me. Here is some truly deep solution to my problems. If you feel that, you have Viveka. At least sufficient Viveka to start spiritual life with. But always you must keep an eye on the gas tank. I mean, it depletes. Living in the world, driving on the freeway, depletes your gas tank of Viveka. So the freeway of the world, it uh, leaches away Viveka. So one must top it up. So keep coming to the Aparokshanubhuti class. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu